the British TV podcast with Chrissy and Ryan. News, reviews, what's on TV this week, DVD releases, and special features all about British TV. Hello and welcome to the British TV podcast, show number 22. I'm Ryan in Seattle. I'm the sidekick Chrissy in Seattle. Oh, you're the main lady today. All right. Cool. Sorry if I sound all congested there. It's those darn tree pollen allergies here. For those of you who are looking outside going, trees, they're all still covered in snow. Well, they're not here. Nope, we've had some pretty marvelous February weather compared to what it usually is, especially, I think. It's been very nice. Bring back the rain. I'm dying here. <laughs> oh, well. Did you end up watching any of the Olympics? Nope. I saw a bit of hockey and uh, listened to the last uh, gold medal game between the United States and Canada. You know, I grew up in Canada, so hockey was the sport. And Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday nights was, I mean, everybody watched that. And I can still do the Hockey Night in Canada theme. But this is not a hockey podcast, so I'll knock it off. Are you going to watch the Oscars on Sunday? Oh, is that when they are? Oh, probably. Yes. Well, I'm certainly rooting for Carrie Mulligan for an education. She's got some stiff competition there. You know, the always dependable Meryl Streep and several others. But so if she doesn't make it, she's going to have a long career. She has plenty of chances, but it would be very cool if she won. That would be great. And maybe Armando Iannucci. I know. How cool is that? Sometimes you see names on the Oscar telecast and you just shake your head, but in happiness. Yes. So that should be fun. It's going to be on in Britain on Sky Movies Plus or something. So you have to have, you know, pay TV to, to get it over there. And it's on the middle of the night, of course. Well, this week's episode, we have news, what's on British TV this week, what's running in the United States, DVD releases, and a feature on actress Jessica Hines. So news. The BBC is going to close two radio stations, shut half its website, and cut spending heavily on imported American programs in an overhaul of services that was announced... Mark Thompson, the Director General, admits that the corporation, which is funded by the £3.6 billion annual license fee, has become too large and must shrink to give its commercial rivals room to operate. Also to assuage the possible Tory government that will be in the summer. So Mr. Thompson has pledged that in future, 90p of every license fee pound will be spent on programming and the corporation would spend 25% less on BBC Online. So it's affecting almost every uh, channel, radio and TV channel. But they're definitely pledging a lot more for programming and stuff. Yeah. But they're trying to look slim and lean because they are concerned about the new government coming in. Assuming the Tories win the election, of course. And wanting to uh, decrease the license fee. Or worse, privatize the BBC. So they're trying to look like they're giving value for money. So we'll see how that affects the programs that come out the other end. Next month, ITV starts filming what seems like a remarkably similar series to the BBC's Upstairs Downstairs remake. Daunton Abbey is, for all intents and purposes, a weekly TV version of Robert Altman's hit film Gosford Park. Oh. Carnival Films, NBC Universal, has even hired Julian Fellows, Gosford Park's Oscar-winning screenwriter, to pen most of the seven episodes. Downton Abbey will star Dame Maggie Smith as Violet, Dowager Duchess of Grantham, and Hugh Bonneville and Elizabeth McGovern. There's even a butler called Carson and a cook called Mrs. Hughes, similar to Upstairs, Downstairs, Butler Hudson, and Cook Mrs. Bridges. So we're going to have dueling... Dueling... 
poshness. Like, well, poshness and, and working classness, yes. but it's kind of cool. You know, in a way, when the BBC does period dramas and stuff like that, it sort of keeps ITV honest, that they have to do the same kind of things. So you don't get all reality shows and police procedurals. So it, it benefits everybody. BBC America announced they're going to start showing the new season of Doctor Who on Saturday, April 17th, which is two weeks after yeah. the BBC does. Well, the BBC officially hasn't announced April 3rd. They're being extremely coy. It's Easter. Yes, the well, fourth, it could but... be another Easter or something like that, but they won't officially say it's April 3rd, even though everybody knows it's going to be April 3rd. So Americans are going to have to wait two weeks, which is quite... A lot in this downloading era. I mean, the Sci-Fi Channel was doing better than that two years ago with the Donna Noble series. Mm -hmm. I think they had it on 10 days after it was running on BBC TV. But it may not be two weeks by the end of the series because the conventional wisdom is that the BBC will be taking at least a one-week break in the middle of the run for Eurovision and possibly the World Cup. So at that point, BBC America could catch up and they'd be only a week behind. Yeah, well, it, it, it's an interesting point you make about how a lot of people will have downloaded it or seen it some other way because there was a website out there that was doing recaps for the first two years of the relaunched Doctor Who, and it finally had to acknowledge that it was recapping it based on when it was being shown in the United States, which was eons after it had been shown in the UK, and it was old news to the Doctor Who fans because they'd seen it so much earlier. So, Well, we were really lucky here in Seattle because yeah. the first series was shown on the CBC about eight days after it was shown on BBC. They Basically, the hockey season had been canceled because of a strike, and the CBC had a lot of holes in their schedule. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, we, we've co-produced this Doctor Who series. We'll put this on. So, And we get the CBC here on cable in Seattle, so it was awesome. But uh, I think BBC America could do better. You could do better. Try harder. Uh, and believe it or not, the DVD of the first three episodes of the Matt Smith era will be released in Britain on June 7th. So while the show's still running. Well, I just absolutely love the Doctor Who time of year. It felt kind of wrong last year not having one. So I would never watch the original series, but I've, I've been a fan. I've always been kind of sad that I, I wasn't there on the night that you showed the episode Rose to the long, long time Doctor Who fans in the Seattle area. I saw the second two episodes when we showed them, oh. but I would have liked to have been there in the room when the first party. credits started running. We had a big party for the Paul McGann TV movie, 96, over at my house. We had about 20 people. Like a lot of Doctor Who fans who I hadn't seen from Seattle in several years, we just hadn't gotten together. And I said, hey, come on over. Let's watch this together. And a friend of mine living in Minnesota called because he had just seen it because, of course, on the he was getting the East Coast feed. Mm -hmm. So he had just finished seeing it. He called us. He said, it's great. You'll love it. Uh, we ordered a bunch of Chinese food in. And we all sat there watching it. And then during each commercial break, everyone would kind of look to me and, what do you think so far? And I go, oh, it's, it's pretty good. I, I like mm -hmm. it. And I was sitting there cutting all the ads out. I'm really glad I taped it because, of course, it's never been repeated and it's not available on home video in this country. So, Well, that was a good good show then. Actually, I tell a lie. It's not been repeated on Fox. It has been shown on the Sci-Fi Channel several times. Well, I remember sometime in the early 80s driving around Seattle and noticing just tons and tons of young couples holding hands, and I remembered that Van Halen, at the height of its fame, was playing that night. And I kind of see the 
in a much smaller version when there's a new Doctor Who on at one of our meetings. The excitement and the glee in the room is a lot like what it was on the streets of Seattle when Van Halen was in town. This sort of feeling of, ah, yes, all is right in the world. And I used to do the same thing with camera copies back in the 80s, which are mm-hmm. terrible looking copies, but this is the best we could do. And everybody was really excited to see new Colin Baker episodes. Oh, my gosh. Nifty. Dating me very badly 25 years ago. Well, before we turn this into a Doctor Who podcast, right. we'd best move on. So what's on TV for the week of March 3rd to the 9th? Wednesday, the serial drama series Five Days continues on BBC One. It'll also be on Thursday and Friday. On Thursday, Eddie Izzard, Marathon Man, is the first in a three-part documentary about the stand-up comic and actor's goal of doing 43 marathons in 51 days for charity. It's on BBC Three at 10.30. Is he nuts? <laughs> well, he did them all. He finished in September, so. Wow. And he had to, he realized he had to keep running quite a lot because his body got used to that much exercise. And if he didn't do it for a couple of days, he would just start bloating because his body began became used to burning thousands and thousands of calories and i hope he was under a doctor's care i worried about what it was going to do with his feet and his back for the rest of his life he's not really a young man at this point he's in his late 40s oh gosh i mean he was he's been an exercise person for 10 years or so and he was at a good starting point to run that much but still Especially running in the rain, he they said his feet were coming apart. He would have to stop and get them rewrapped, and he was losing toenails, and it sounds pretty grim. So, Well, so there's a good example of uh, three hours of masochism you could watch there. Mm-hmm. Eddie Izzard, Marathon Man. The comedy Bellamy's People continues on BBC Two. Season three of Secret Diary of a Call Girl continues on ITV2 at 10 p.m. And Skins is also on at 10 on E4. Alan Carr, Chatty Man, is on Channel 4 with guests John Barrowman, Ant Endeck, and Ellie Goulding providing music. Friday, QI looks at Greeks as the G-Series continues on BBC One, and it's followed by the conclusion to five days. Topical news quiz, The Bubble, continues on BBC Two. Friday Night with Jonathan Ross on BBC One includes guests Lady Gaga, Stephen Moyer from True Blood, and Michael Ball. Saturday, Harry Hill's TV Burp is on ITV1. And it's Las Vegas night on BBC2. Hey. Oh, Chrissy's favorite city. It includes an Alan Yentob documentary about Sin City called A Kick in the Head, The Lure of Las Vegas. Well, favorite American city, perhaps. Oh, okay. Gotta hold London in the number one spot. For what would be your number two favorite British city? British city. I really enjoyed the one trip where I made a foray into Scotland. Quite enjoyed that. And I would say that if any of you ask, because my mother has mentioned she would like me to accompany her and take her over, and she's never traveled anywhere. And I thought, well, if we're going to touch down, of course, we'll do London for a few days. But London's a big, dirty, fast city. I don't think she's going to like it that much. So I was thinking, well, where do we want to go after that? Love Brighton. Brighton would be really nice. I really like York. That's a wonderful small city. I've only spent a day in York. Have you been to Bath? Yes. Bath is great. Bath is I great, too. I would highly too. recommend Bath. Yeah, it'll be Bath or York. We have to decide which direction we want to go. Probably Bath, because it's closer, but... And you can go to Stonehenge. It's just a mm-hmm. day trip out there, too. Sunday, Lark Rise to Candleford continues on BBC One. Over on ITV One, Wild at Heart continues. And on BBC Two, it's the movie version of The Thick of It, the Oscar-nominated In the Loop with Peter Capaldi. 
And several hours later, Britons will discover if it won the Oscar or not for Best Adapted Screenplay. Go Armando! Woohoo! Go Armando! He has a great name to say, too. It's fun. Armando Iannucci. Love those Italian names. All right. Monday, the documentary series The Lakes continues on ITV1 as well as Married Single Other. And Tuesday, Shameless continues on Channel 4. Haven't watched Shameless since the third series. Does it continue to be great? It just goes yes, so long. You the, wonder if did, it, you, uh... did you remember the Irish gangsters being introduced? No. Okay. Because one of the sons was dating the daughter and he got her pregnant. Right. Okay. I, I vaguely. And then they ended up moving next door. And a lot of the emphasis is now on their family as well. I mean, the Gallaghers are still in it, but now mm-hmm. you have the sort of second okay. family. I think it holds up very well. Oh, and good. Paul Abbott has created such a good structure of a series there, even though he's not running the scripts. Mm-hmm. It's still very interesting. On BBC America this week, Friday, it's Chat Show Night with Friday Night with Jonathan Ross and The Graham Norton Show. Saturday, the first season of the remake of Survivors continues. Monday, Top Gear. Wednesday, Channel 4's high school comedy, The Inbetweeners. On PBS's masterpiece classic, Sharps Challenge, starring Sean Bean, is Sunday on most PBS stations. Did you watch the 39 Steps? No. Ah. It was very interesting. It was all took place in Scotland. Haven't watched much TV this week other than the last two episodes of Being Human for this, uh, oh. of the series two. The last episode got a million viewers. Well, good. Pretty good for BBC Three. The Independent Film Channel has the sketch comedy series Wrong Door at 10 p.m., 7 p.m. Pacific on Tuesday. And next Monday begins repeats weeknights again of the IT crowd. Woohoo! Shameless is Friday on the Sundance Channel. I just want to mention that Netflix is constantly recommending the IT crowd to me, <laughs> no matter what else I've rented. What about the IT crowd? It pops up. Cool. So. I don't know how to tell them. I've seen it Netflix. Maybe there's a button for that that I don't know about. The third season of Billy Piper's Secret Diary of a Call Girl is Mondays on Showtime. On Adult Swim on Friday night starting at midnight is the double shot of The Mighty Boosh, followed by The Office and then Look Around You. Garth Marenghi's Dark Place is at 5 a.m. Saturday morning. DVD releases. First is Believe, the Eddie Izzard story. Maybe you could tell us what this is. It's a documentary about Eddie. He had quite a bit of video of his life. He had performances of, well, home movies, you know, the Super 8, Flicker, Flicker. And he had home a lot of performances when he would play on the streets doing sword fighting and escapology from handcuffs atop um, unicycles. He had his first ever gig performed in a dress that he had some friends tape, which I had heard about for years and years but this was the first I'd ever seen of it. And it just, it sort of um, talked about, this is kind of interesting. During most of the 90s, Eddie toured with his stand-up pretty much nonstop. And he would film it from time to time and retitle the show and it would come out. But because he likes to roll over material fairly quickly by the time the DVD or this video had been released, he had pretty much revamped the show and moved on to almost all new material. Well, in the early 1998, he did, um, I think, four months in New York at a club 
just this really long residency. And then he went over and played San Francisco for about six weeks and a month in L.A. at very small theaters. And this show was filmed near the end of the run in San Francisco, and it was Dressed to Kill, which later won him two enemies. And so this show, Dressed to Kill, without having ever been played at all in the UK or Europe, was released in the UK just a few weeks after it closed, sold very heavily by all these excited people who hadn't seen it. And at that point, Eddie took a year off to do some films and play Lenny Bruce in the West End and then launched his Circle Tour, which went for over a year. But he continued doing his show the way he had always done it, which was to take the old show that he had finished but people hadn't seen yet because it wasn't released and do it and then start rolling it over into new comedy. So all of a sudden you had, with all this hype, a nation of sold out shows and he was doing the same material that had been on the DVD release of a year earlier and it actually ended up on Watchdog that he was committing some sort of fraud on people who'd paid out these expensive tickets and were coming to see a show that they'd already seen time and time again on home video. And so Ann Robinson talked about it, and he actually got a slap on the wrist from some agency that deals with that sort of thing. And so that sort of bookends the show, which how he um, starts off with the watchdog clip of him being investigated, and then it announces that he stopped doing comedy for three years, which he did. Makes it sound like he was upset about this and gave up for three years, but I think it was his master plan to just do a lot more acting anyway. And so he had to rebuild how he did these new shows now that his old material was so seen and disseminated. So he started doing workshops, and I've been lucky enough to see a little workshop weekend he squeezed into Seattle in the middle of in a break in the riches. So it's kind of him going through this new tour of small little dates here and there and putting together a new show in a way that was completely new for him because he'd never written stuff down before. And then it also is just his life story. Wow. That's Believe the Eddie Izzard story available on DVD. Sounds like you should check it out. The Biterbeck Connections is out. It's James Bolam and Barbara Flynn reunite in this 1988 miniseries of a amusing mixture of comedy, mystery, and jazz. Have you seen any of the Biterbeck shows? Haven't. Oh, quite charming and fun. The first one was the Biterbeck Affair. James Bolam has these albums of big Spiderbecks and it involves this kind of weird, very low-key mystery and they're just really charming. Barbara Flynn is super sexy in these as she was back in the 80s. And there was two sequel miniseries, and The Biterbeck Connections is the last one. Ellen Platter wrote these. I found them utterly charming. I've seen them on PBS. It's certainly worth picking up uh, any of them. Doctor Who Dalek War box set contains two John Pertwee serials from 1973, The Frontier in Space and Planet of the Daleks. There's two connected stories. Each consists of six parts each. And the really cool thing here is episode three of Planet of the Daleks has had the color restored. The BBC used to be in the habit of erasing Doctor Who tapes. And many of the 60s are gone. And for some reason, one of the episodes of this serial got destroyed. But they had the black and white print master that they would use for foreign releases in countries that didn't have color TV yet. And they figured out a way to put the color in it. They used computerized coloring, but they also found out that on this black and white print, there's a matrix of color that they can extract out. Now, this seems almost like magic 
And there's a website you can go to. We'll put a link on our show notes and you can read all about the technical aspects of this thing. But for somehow, off this black and white thing, they're able to figure out what the colors were and recolorize this thing and bring it back to full color for the six parts. It used to be on PBS that if you were seeing the serialized version of it, you would see episodes one and two in color, episode three be black and white, and then four, five, and six in color. But if you saw the movie compilation version, they just cut out the black and white episode. It would just skip 25 minutes of the program. Hmm. Now, for someone like you who's never seen a John Pertwee story, this probably is not the best things to watch because the six-parters tended to be very leisurely paced. And Frontier in Space in particular, a great deal of it is the doctor and assistant Joe Grant being locked up by various parties. They escape, they get locked up by somebody else. They escape and they get locked up. They spend a lot of time in cages talking about what's going on in the plot. But it features some very cool aliens. And uh, it leads into Planet of the Daleks, starring you-know-what. For for completists, it's certainly worth watching that. I could suggest other John Pertwee stories. It would be better to jump into to see what his era was all about. There's also another Doctor Who release this week, Remembrance the Daleks, which was a 1988 story with Sylvester McCoy, the first to feature floating Daleks. Yes, it wasn't just done in 2005. They had floating Daleks back in the 80s. People just forget about it. And Dark Series 1, the classic 1977 drama, is now available on DVD. And that remake of The 39 Steps, starring Rupert Henry Jones, that just ran on PBS last week, is now available. It's my turn? Yes, so feature this week is on Jessica Hines. Now our podcast here, make no mistake, is Ryan's baby and he puts an awful lot of work into coming up with these listings and quite often he chooses who will profile, sometimes I do, but he'll write it up. But I had to write about Jessica Hines because she's really one of my favorite actresses. So much so that, and we'll mention it later, but she made her Broadway debut last year doing a trilogy of the Norman Conquests, and I actually had meant to go to New York to visit a friend anyway, but I planned the trip specifically so I'd have a Saturday free to go see all three of these shows. And in a coincidence, Ryan went to, although he didn't see all three. So I saw the first one, though. We'll talk about it. Yes. So let me launch into the career of Jessica Stevenson, or she's now known Jessica Hines, because having... Married to Hines. Married to Hines, and having three little Hines, she felt that she wanted her name to match theirs publicly as well as privately. Hmm. Now, she had a problem after her breakout role in the Channel 3 sitcom Spaced. You mean Channel 4. Channel 4. <laughs> so it does say 4 here, doesn't it? Spaced, for which she won the Best Newcomer Award at the 1999 British Comedy Awards as well as a BAFTA nomination with Simon Pegg for writing and creating the second series in 2001. But afterwards, she, we have watched as seen as Simon Pegg's star has risen much more visibly in a showy way as he's become a genuine Hollywood movie star, roles in Star Trek as well as some other films, and he has also created and co-written, along with Spaced Boy Wonder director Edgar Wright, two very beloved and British comedy films, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. 
And he's become so much more visible that by the time Fox Network a few years ago announced it was adapting and creating a U.S. version of Spaced, it used Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright, the creators of Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, in its sort of promotional um, outline that it had released to the press, said it was recreating the show that they had put together with no mention at all of Jessica. And her many fans were mightily miffed at her exclusion because it had been Jessica, after all, who had dreamed up the premise and written the original treatment for space, typing, she has said, on a small electric typewriter while sitting on her sister's couch. And she was only 24 when she dreamed this up and started typing, and she'd already been a performer for a decade at that point. In interviews, she's described herself as a latchkey kid, and although she was resentful of her lonely home life, she now recognized that, recognizes that it gave her her drive and confidence. She became interested in acting during her teens, and since she was left to her own devices about her free time, she researched, learned about the nearest division of a program called the National Youth Theater, and took a bus there for an audition. She was accepted at the age of 14 and within a few years was playing the lead roles in all of its productions. And a few of these plays were directed by a gentleman just a few years older, her peer in the program named Matthew Warkus. And 20 years on, he was actually the director of the Norman Conquests in London. Oh. And, and so it was kind of funny that they were both teenagers learning the craft together. And 20 years on, they were both in a mightily Tony award nominated and indeed winning for production event. The small world of British theater. Yes. The leading roles that she had the way back in the youth theater led to her um, discovering several agents at the back door of the theater. As she came out, she chose one. And so before her teens were ended, she was an official jobbing actor in London, spending her time between acting gigs, working odd jobs in restaurants and so on, and sharing flats, crashing in friends' spare room beds or couches, and even squatting occasionally with some other people, meaning paying no rent in unoccupied flats, back in her extreme salad days, as they say. So the hand-to-mouth life that you see Daisy living, living in a squat as the beginning of episode one of Spaced, was actually old news to Jessica by that time. She'd done it, but at a much younger age than Daisy is in the first episode. Before Spaced, Jessica appeared in several low-budgeted experimental comedy shows on the Paramount Comedy Channel in the mid-90s. And from what I understand, a lot of these master tapes were lost, and that's why you only see these things floating around in YouTube chunks that somebody taped on VHS at the time. And it's kind of a shame because they could probably release them on DVD and make a little money, but that's what I've heard, that programs like Mash and Peas, which was the first program given to David Williams and Matt Lucas a good five years before or even more than five years, mid-90s, before Little Britain wow. made them famous. And there was also a sketch show called Unnatural Acts, which showcased Julian Barrett and Noel Fielding, as well as some of their friends like Rich Fulcher, who all turned into the Mighty Boosh later on. She appeared in all of these. She showed up in slightly more mainstream terrestrial shows, such as Armstrong and Miller's sketch comedy and Harry Enfield and Chums. And still... Very young, she went to Prague for a few months as a in a role in the very strange dancing, singing musical 
not quite a musical. They don't break into song, but there's a lot of music and singing in it. It's a film called Swing Kids that starred Christian Bale and Robert Sean Leonard, as well as Kenneth Branagh and Barbara Hershey were in it as well. Did you know that she guest starred in the first ever episode of Midsummer Murders in 1997? I did not. She was getting in there. She was playing roles here and there, but hadn't made her fortune or fame yet. But... It was about to change because back home, Jessica sat on that sister's sofa and created the roles of Daisy for herself and for Tim for her brand new pal, Simon Pegg, because she had just met him on the day they both auditioned for the short-lived sketch comedy, Six Pairs of Pants. I like Six Pairs of Pants. The best bit was the archaeologist Buckinghamshire Jones and his attempt to save the girl. Another one that disappeared, and other than a very brief clip on a spaced box set, really hasn't seen the light of day as a DVD. Oh, I have some of those. That's true. And so Six Pairs of Pants also featured another of Jessica's dear friends from her youth theater days, Katie Carmichael, who ended up appearing in Spaced. And also Sally Phillips, with whom Jessica would appear many years later in the big-budget Bridget Jones movie, the second one. And Sally Phillips is well known for Smack the Pony. That's true. In the first Alan Partridge, everyone remembers her as the giggling receptionist in the Travel Tavern. That's where I first saw her. But going back to Jess, directly after Six Pairs of Pants, both she and Simon were featured in a strange little sitcom that really shoehorned a lot of these actors' stand-up bits in, sketch piece called Asylum. And that's where they met um, very young Edgar Wright, who was barely in his 20s by this point. This kid knew what he wanted to do young and, and got quite good at it very quickly. And he was the show's director. So during the filming of both Six Pairs of Pants and Asylum, Jessica enjoyed working with Simon so much that she took great care when she created the character of Tim Bisley and someone Simon would both identify with and love to play once she showed him the treatment for Spaced. And this plan worked. He was immediately on board to co-write and star with her, and they were off. And sometimes, in their opinions, writing their best when they wrote for one another instead of themselves. And this is a monologue of Daisy's that was actually written by Simon at the episode that begins with Daisy dumping her boyfriend, or is she? I can't believe it. Listen, Richard, we had a great time. Maybe I even loved you, but times change, you know? I've got to think about me, I've got to think about my life. The Guardian been on the phone all morning. They want me to write this new pop music column. So I'm going to Fuji to interview the Fijis, and then Maui to interview Bowie, and then Malaga to interview the Gallaghers. I'm going to be going from place to place and meeting new people. I just don't think that makes any time for you. No, I'm sorry, I really am, but I think this is best for the both of us. In, In the, the long, long run, run you'll thank me. me. I'm meeting loads of new people, and right now I really don't think that leaves any room in my life for you. It's over, Daisy. So do you think she could write all those Star Wars references, or, or was someone putting those in? I think I've read that those are his. The okay. science fiction pretty much is his, and anything relating to growing up kind of British beloved children's shows, that came from her. Ah. And in the gap between... Spaced series in one and two. She got another high-profile role as Cheryl in Carolyn O'Hearn's big, big ratings hit the royal family. And her one-two punches on TV as the confident, joyous Daisy and browbeaten, sagging, and unhappy Cheryl made critics and viewers sit up and take notice. She was great. 
Absolutely. Different accent, different character. Changed herself physically just by demeanor. It was wonderful. And one person who not only noticed her in these, but hired her straight away for one of his projects was Russell T. Davis, a writer known for selecting strong, real looking as opposed to glamorous and always massively talented women as his muses. He cast Jessica and Al- as Alan Davis' best friend Holly in his first project that he really did post the very successful Queerest Folk. And this was a drama miniseries called Bob and Rose. There's a spoiler ahead for those who have not seen the series. So what, he's gay? No, not that. <laughs> but in the scene, Jessica's character Holly confesses of a deception she made to Rose. Rose is the first person who Holly's very best friend Bob, who is gay, has ever, uh, the first woman uh, he has ever loved romantically, much to everyone's surprise, including Bob's. Rose is played by another of Russell T. Davis's muses, Leslie Sharp. My dad was ill once, and I told Bob. And uh, three days later, he remembered. He said, how is he now? You see? He turns around, and there I am. Fixtures and fittings, always there. Uh, Not that important. (laughs) Turns out I can change the world. I told you that he slept with Carl. I lied. First time I saw him in college, I knew he was gay straight off, and we went out and we got pissed at first night. We had such a laugh. I was blonde then, and that was years ago. Spent so much time, I thought I knew everything about him. But it turns out that I didn't. Because then he goes and meets you. And he falls in love with a woman. And it wasn't me. Following Spaced, the royal family and Bob and Rose, Jessica then headed the cast of the largely improvised Tomorrow La Scala, about a troupe of aspiring thespians who establish an artistic residence in a penitentiary in order to run acting workshops for the cons. This work resulted in Jess Jess receiving a Best Actress BAFTA nomination. That was in 2002. Around this time, she also took her first West End role since becoming well-known in a play entitled The Night Heron and found herself nominated for an Olivier Award, which is their equivalent over in the UK of the Tony Awards for Best Actress in a Play. So not too shabby. Nope. For someone barely turning 30. By this time, Jessica had married her longtime partner, Adam Hines, who she met at 18. Always very private about her family, she has often refused to let reporters write anything about her children other than their genders and ages. But it is known that as the first series of Spaced was being filmed in 1999, she was already a mother, spending her nights awake nursing her firstborn, and this made her slightly loopy and frantic and caffeine-fueled, we must assume, during daylight hours. <laughs> or that contributed to her playing the part. Could well be. She and her husband now have three children who are aged 11, 7, and 4. In the middle of the noughties, Jessica's career hit a brief artistic snag when she agreed to play the title character in a According to Bex, which 
her fantastic haircut aside, was a by-the-numbers, not-very-funny sitcom. I kind of liked According to Bex, because I guess I liked her. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. that's the one I mentioned when I got interviewed by Radio 4 about, what kind of British shows do you like? And I had just seen it, so it was like on the forefront of my mind. And now I'm like, According to Bex, what was I thinking? It's just at the office or something like that. I was trying to contrast the you know modern comedies versus you know Benny Hill and yeah. keeping up appearances with BBC America was constantly rerunning in those days. Well, if you like Jessica, you can find something to like in it. But I think it was a blip in the otherwise stellar career and the wonderful choices she was making left and right too. If you look at what she'd achieved so far, and she sacked her agent afterwards, right? That will be. I don't know that part, but. Uh, if you've read it, it must be true. It's on the internet. Well, Jessica has remarked in interviews that this experience proved to her once and for all that she would never be happy or feel quite at home in the mainstream. She had felt awkward in the role and felt it that it showed. She wasn't alone in holding that opinion. She has a great ability to laugh at herself, which was proved just weeks after, according to Bex, ended. She was reunited with Simon Pegg on stage for a Tsunami Benefit concert entitled Comic Aid, which was also released on DVD in the UK. And they had scripted banter between acts rather than actually doing any part of an act. And they kind of started teasing and then getting a little mean and taunting one another. And she named several of his lesser projects that he might have been embarrassed by and he silenced her simply by saying according to Bex and she fell silent immediately of course but fortunately that show was hardly a blip in her glowing career before long she was back on course in the feature film Confetti which utilized her fine skills at improvisation and paired her up with Martin Freeman from The Office he had previously played her boyfriend in the famous doppelgang scene of Shaun of the Dead, <laughs> where Shaun's gang encounters also running the opposite way, just sort of a carbon copy gang. And Well, Simon Pegg managed to work in everybody he'd ever worked with in Shaun of the Dead, except for Bill Bailey. And Mark Heap. And I actually asked him about that, and he said, oh, Bill wasn't available, but he made it up for it by having Bill Bailey play two parts yep. in Hot Fuzz. So I thought that was rather humorous. Well, the whole film, Shaun of the Dead, is good. But if you do get the DVD, watch the extended doppelgang scene. It's just, as an extra, it's it's really great. It's a great joke. In Confetti, Martin and Jessica played one of three couples who were competing to win the wedding of their dreams, paid for by a bridal magazine in London. Here's a spoiler ahead if you haven't seen the movie, but surprising no one at all, Jessica and Martin's couple won, and the movie climaxed in an Art Nouveau extravaganza with both the grooms and bride's family singing and dancing in the style of a classic Hollywood musical. Both sides of the wedding party sang, danced, did the whole Bugsy Berkeley circle things from the overhead camera shots, and then the couple sang to each other as they were So Jessica actually gets the guy. Because I've noticed a pattern here where she doesn't quite ever get the guy, especially in Russell T. Davies' productions. You know, always a bridesmaid, never the bride. So I'm glad to hear that she at least gets hooked up with somebody in in one production. She got her dear Martin. They They were a sweet, sweet couple because they both had sort of remarkably awful parents. And you could kind of see them giving each other the nurturing they never had from their parents and make being very steadfast in that they were never going to act that way because they were going to be what they hadn't seen above them. It's a fun little film. 
Much casual nudity in it, though, though not from uh, Jessica nor Martin. Following Confetti, she graduated to her first role playing a mother, playing one in the feature film Son of Rambo, about two little boys who recreate the Rambo films. Other appearances in quality television around that time include her role in Doctor Who and the films Magicians and a voice-only role in Harry Potter, but I'm hoping she'll show up in the final film as the character did in the book. Yeah, Magicians is Robert Webb and... David Mitchell. David Mitchell, and did not get any kind of release or exposure over here, but it did play in cinemas in Britain. Yeah, a lot of her roles are very British-centric with not showing up here, except the occasional thing like the Bridget Jones movie. It, it She hasn't made as many touched by Hollywood doesn't sound like she's at all, really that interested in no. conquering America much as Simon has. I think Simon has a certain career path in mind, which means being in big Hollywood blockbusters mm-hmm. like Star Trek, and she can't be arsed. Well, she's got three kids yeah. as well. Yeah. And, and a really well thought of person, I would imagine, in the artistic community over there, too. So who needs Hollywood? But what we did love her in was her two-part story arc in Doctor Who. Yes. In Human Nature and the Family of Blood. Jessica played Joan Redford, a mere mortal who becomes the first love of one John Smith, the charming but shy new teacher at an early 1910s academy for young men where she is employed as the nurse. He's got a secret. Unfortunately, their love doesn't last as John Smith is compelled to remember and resume his true identity... He's the doctor. Played by David Tennant. Though not before they jointly view a glimpse of the future they might have had together, getting married, raising a family, and finally together in old age. It's very sweet. It is. Great score, too. Sad as can be. Yep, she's got a couple pieces named after her on the second official Doctor Who Murray Gold CD. Yeah. That's got to be great, having music written, especially for oneself. That, That must be... Kind of almost as good as getting an action figure. Is it done? It's done. Police and the army are at the school. Parents have come to take the boys home. I should go. They'll have so many questions. I'm not sure what to say. Oh. You look the same. Goodness, I must forgive my rudeness, I feel... I find it difficult to look at you. Doctor. I must call you Doctor. Where is he? John Smith? He's in here somewhere. Like a story. Could you change back? Yes. Will you? No. I see. Well, then. He was braver than you, in the end. That ordinary man. You chose to change, but he chose to die. Come with me. Sorry. Travel with me. It's what? My companion. But that's not fair. What must I look like to you, Doctor? I must seem so very small. Oh. We could start again. I'd like that. 
You and me. We could try, at least. Because everything that John Smith is and was, I'm capable of that, too. I can't. Please come with I me. I can't. Why not? John Smith is dead, and you look like him. In an interview near the time of the show's transmission, Jessica mentioned a snag that occurred as a result of her work on the program when one of her children arrived home from school in tears, having been informed by a classmate that his mummy was about to leave daddy and run off in the TARDIS with Doctor Who. She has to explain that what mummy does is all make-believe. It's yeah. not real. One David Tennant apparently enjoyed working with Jessica because in his very limited time off between shooting seasons three and four of Doctor Who, and I'm sure he was being offered projects everywhere. Yeah, he was the hot guy. He At that time, he was considered Mr. Greenlight. That if you had a package with David Tennant in it, you would get financing. Well, he agreed to take part in the comedy drama that Jessica had written for herself, which was called Learners. And she was a 30-something mother, wife of a 'er ne'er-do-well husband. Played by Sean Dingwall. And her character... She wants a driver's license. She wanted a driver's license. Um, She was living somewhat remotely, relying on public transportation that wasn't that great. And a driver's license really represented a chance to change what she did for a living and give herself a lot of freedom. And she could not get this license. Well, her husband kind of kept permanently sabotaging her attempts to get one he did he was a really bad person her husband too not a bad person but a bad person to have as her driving teacher yes they he would was not argue. a good driving instructor he would get her frustrated so she finally decided she needed professional driving instruction help and david Tennant played her driving instructor chris the christian the world's most patient driving instructor and of course he he just resented represented so many things to her that she had to fall in love just a bit so were their paths fated to cross romantically this time well you'll have to if you're in the uk rent learners on dvd and find out (sighs) no they weren't i like that david Tennant just played this really nice guy because you get really expecting that that he's going to fall for her and all this sort of stuff but he was very consistent all the way through the story He was. It was a very laid back part for him to play. I mentioned this later in what I'm looking at here in my notes here, but I thought Learners was too short. I felt that, oh, I'm in love with so-and-so now. Oh, that's okay. I I, I didn't feel a lot of the transactions of characters' emotions simply because it was quite a short little film. I felt if maybe it had been over two nights or even had a little extra hour in length, they really could have fleshed out a lot of these things. I don't know. I, I'd be interesting to ask Jessica about that, but she probably would figure that would be kind of flabby, that it's better just to get on and off really quick and just you cut to the chase and get the story going yeah. and go to a, a forward point. I mean, it's tough to write a 90-minute movie because you really have to keep the plot going forward. Better to be too short than too long. Jessica, call us. Well, well we want to ask you this in person. All right, let's see here. Following learners, Jessica was part of a six-person ensemble at the Old Vic Theater in a sold-out, in-the-round revival of Alan Ackborn's trilogy from the 70s, The Norman Conquests. With Stephen Megan playing Norman. Yes, and Jessica was playing a role that in the original PBS film of it was played by Penelope Wilton. Yes. The production 
got a six-month break after it ended its West End run. Oh, is the Old Vic considered West End? I'm not sure. Being over the Thames and all, I'll have to look that up. But anyway, it ended. They got a break. It came back six months later and moved to Broadway. And that was in May, June, and July of last year, 2009. Yes. And they started their run there early enough that they were eligible for the 2009 Tony Awards. And Jessica received Best Actress in a Play Tony Award nomination. And unfortunately didn't win. Angela Lansbury won instead, which made us very sad, but um, watching. What did the show did win was the best revival of a play, and so Jessica, with her cast members and her old, old buddy Matthew, who had directed, all got to get up and receive the statuette, or the figurine, or the little gong, or whatever a Tony looks like. Yeah, I've seen <laughs> the old PBS version that had, um, who was Norman in that one? Tom Conti. Tom Conti, very Richard Brayer's young and sexy Tom Conti. Yeah. My wife was not familiar with it, but we went to go see it. I said, oh, "I'm gonna go see this because I really like Stephen Megan, and of course I like Jessica Hyde." And I was familiar with the Norman Conquest, and we saw the first one. And... The first one is considered. I, I I noticed a lot of people saying, "If you only see one, see the first one." But we quite enjoyed seeing all three. That the first was at eleven a.m. We oh, did the all one day yeah, thing. We oh, did oh my it. gosh! And we went off and had lunch, and then we came back at three and saw the second, and then had quite a break where we had dinner and came back at eight for the third, and then rewarded them with quite a long standing o because what a long day of acting. Yeah, and you're doing three whole plays. Mm-hmm. It was it was just really well done, very expensive, but we felt it was worth it because. We were just delighted to get to see it. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm glad I did. Those moments come and go. So yeah. you've got to see these plays when they're, they're playing if you get a chance. Well, it's funny because about 17 years before doing this production, Matthew had directed Jessica, who would have been about 20 at the time, playing the grandmother in Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> At a very regional production in New Yorkshire. So how times have changed huh? to go from casting 20-year-old Jess as a granny to age-appropriate and everything on Broadway. So what are her writing credits are? She she did her own stand-up material for a while, right? She did very little. She did stand-up with Katie Carmichael at the very beginning of her career. Okay. And then really didn't do much until a couple years ago. She decided to try it again. Well, she wrote Spaced. Right, but but standing up, she didn't do stand up. No, no, no. But I'm just I'm just yeah. interested in her writing because she writes her own material a lot for uh, spaced and learners and things like that. That she's obviously doing things that she's interested in writing and then being in. Right, and she did mention she kind of in an interview that she lost her creative mojo right after spaced because Edgar and Simon announced pretty quickly that they were off doing a project together and they didn't ask her, which hurt her feelings, although she said she tried not to be a girl about it and say, oh, no, I'm happy for you. Plus, she had a very young child and wanted to have more. And so it took her a little while to for the kids to grow up enough that she had some time to herself, you know, and could start thinking of writing again. Now, she's doing this Internet series or she started an Internet series, right? Well, she started, actually, she called it Julia Davis, who did Nighty Night and Human Remains. They started pairing up and became what they called comedy playmates, and they did an internet series 
that was called, I've written it down here, Peppa Tits, which you can download on the internet. I, and it's pretty easy to find. Just Google we'll it. We'll have links. And they had hoped to move it to a TV show and evolve it into something sitcom. And what happened was that Julia herself just became a mother two years ago with twins. And Jessica has three kids and they just sort of felt it was taking too much time from the attention they really wanted to give their families right now. So it's kind of on hold. Did the Hyde's move to New York where she was doing Norman Conquest? Her kids went with her. I'm oh, okay. not sure if her husband did or not, but yep, she found out she'd been nominated for a Tony when she was helping her one of her daughters make breakfast. <laughs> See. That's too bad, because boy, her and Julie Davis, that sounds really that awesome. That would be fantastic. Two of our favorites here. Yeah, we should mention that Jessica was honored, too, really getting a very short scene in the last of David Tennant's Doctor Who episodes. That's right. And they had they weren't even in production for the episode and weren't to be for a couple months. And, but because she was leaving to go to New York, they set up a little camera crew for her in London to film her scene. And in the commentary, they said they almost cut it just because there were so many goodbye scenes. And they thought, the director no. did cut it out. Yeah. And the producers watched it. And then he said, oh, did you notice that scene was cut out? And they went, wait a second. You got to put that back in. And he thought, oh, darn. I almost was able to cut yep. it out. But they were like, no, no, no. We, we want that in there. It's got to be in there. Well, you know, I gave, I gave Bob and Rose loaned it to a friend. And they said, based on Jessica's face, Jessica's now this, my friend's new favorite actress, her face says more than a million words when she, it's just all actors and actresses act with their face. It sounds kind of silly saying that, but I think she's better than most. She's extremely subtle. Well, she and, can do TV and she can do theater. Right. Yeah. She can sell it to the back row or she can do it way up close. So let's hope to see her back with Julia doing some more work here. I think that they'd be well, she's smart to be able to write her own material because you could wait all the rest of your career for the phone to ring and someone has a great part for you. But if you could write your own stuff mm-hmm. and that way you can kind of shape your career and do the things you want to do. Obviously, she probably wants to stay in Britain doing British-centric kind of stuff. I mean, I'm sure she's happy for Simon. I'm sure she has zero interest in being in a Star Trek movie, for example. Well, she's going to be in a pretty good movie. And I don't know if you read the last email, but I found out what role she's playing in the upcoming Burke and Hare, All right. which had been meant to star Simon Pegg and David Tennant. But he, David Tennant left to shoot a pilot for NBC and was replaced by Andy Serkis, who gets to be himself and not covered in a little computer dot. Well, he was himself in Longford. Gener- he played a right. killer in that, too. He's, he's actually played himself quite a bit. He, he was or played a playing- human. He played Albert Einstein in Einstein and Eddington oh, right, last, yes. and and he was in Oliver Twist in the late nineties playing Bill Sykes. He's he, the poor man. He plays the villain a lot, and he, he's evidently one of the nicest men you could ever meet. But anyway, he is he is going to play a serial killer, along with Simon Pegg also playing a serial serial killer based on real people who were selling cadavers. Perhaps they were grave diggers. I think they were selling cadavers legitimately cadaverized to medical students and when they ran out they started murdering people to have the bodies to sell to the medical students for autopsy and dissection purposes to get the money and jessica is going to play andy circus's wife and this is directed by john landis yes big time director and she's going to play the wife which means she would have finally been david Tennant's wife had he stayed with the project 
And Isla Fisher, who was last, before she had a baby, was last seen in Confessions of a Shopaholic. She's the Australian actress who's also been in Wedding Crashers and done some big things. She's playing Simon Pegg's girlfriend. Jessica would be playing Andy's wife, and these two women are definitely in on the plot. They know what's going on. Now, if so, John Landis weren't involved with this, I would think this would be one of those British kind of movies like The yeah. Magicians that just would never get released over here because no one has ever heard of these guys. You know, it doesn't have A-list stars in it and stuff like that, but presumably... Yeah, but it's chock full of Brits, but John Landis is directing it, so... Well, hopefully it's going to get a release in America. It might just get an Our House release. Well, it's got quite a number of names in there that just make me excited like tim curry john cleese ronnie corbett bill bailey all in in fact bill bailey and john cleese have announced that they want to uh, adapt a fish called wanda for the west end with bill bailey working on the music now that made the news this week <laughs> so so it looks like even better projects will be coming out of this but yeah it's a pretty exciting film all right i hope it's good burke and hair we'll keep our eyes peeled for that and so what do we want to see next? Now, you've already touched on her writing, and I agree. I think that now that her kids are going to be entering school and she can carve out some more time for herself, I bet she does more writing for herself. And I think that's the way to go, because that way mm-hmm. you could do the parts you want to do. And especially the age she's kind of getting into, you know, not wanting to get typecast, doing interesting parts, write your own parts. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the smartest career move you can possibly do. And if she does want to go to sunny Hollywood for a little while, I say, Russell T. Davis, write another role for Jess. Get in line. She can do American accents. We'll have to see if he has a career or not. <laughs> well, that's my my very long and exhaustive, sorry there, but no, profile no, that's of good. one of my favorite actresses, definitely, Ms. Jessica Hines. She's great. We want you to go visit our website, BritishTVPodcast.com. You can find headlines, show notes, links to things we've talked about here, what's on TV this week, the archive of old shows, and you can send us some feedback at feedback at BritishTVPodcast.com. Now, did you know that there's going to be a remake of Who Do You Think You Are on NBC this week? Hey, at last. Canada started doing it a couple years ago. Oh, really? Completely. They even had a similar... The big tree, the same I assume graphics. they buy the format with it. Yeah. Sarah Jessica Parker is going to be the first person. Entertainment Weekly slugged it off. It's a documentary style that I have not mm-hmm. seen on American TV, no. network TV, in a long time. But if they do it that way, people may get really sucked into it. But if they kind of just make it more E, the Hollywood story type, celebrity kind of thing, that's not going to be as interesting. So we'll have to see if they pull it off or not. But that's uh, Friday's on NBC. Yeah, I think... The One of the things I like about the original is that it doesn't really matter who the celebrity is for their celebrity because they're not talking about them. They're talking about relatives of this him or her and their place in history and time and what they went through. And so as long as whichever celebrity they've chosen is just sort of personable and you want to watch them on television, it doesn't really matter what they're wearing or if their hair is done so. well we'll have to see but it's a, a good format the bbc is exported there so thanks for listening and we will be back next week with another episode of the british tv podcast keep listening bye bye bye